The book of Genesis, chapter 35. And the subject of our message will be back to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. It'd be a good thing for all of us to have nowadays, wouldn't it? Back to the house of God. So we're going to read beginning with verse 1 through verse 10, if you will. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. That's where we ought to live. And make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings. By the way, the earrings were sometimes symbolical of some of their worship of strange gods as well, included in some of that, which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak, which was by Shechem. He buried them under an oak tree. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities uh, that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. It was Luz at first, and then when Jacob met the Lord back in the 28th chapter, or chapter I'll give you in a little bit, well, he changed, he changed the name to Bethel, the house of God, when he had that experience with God, and saw Jacob's ladder. And he built there an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from uh, the face of his brother. El Bethel means God, the God of, Be- the God of Bethel. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bekoth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. We could go on and on and read the rest of the chapter, speaking of things that God did. For Jacob. But I want to give you a message, the Lord willing, on back to Bethel. In verse 1 he says, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. That was God's word to Jacob. I want to give you several things. First of all, we're going to take a brief look at Jacob's situation, his circumstances. And then we're going to talk about what God speaks to Jacob. And then what was Jacob to do? What was he to do? And then again, the fourth thing, what happened when Jacob obeyed? And the last thing, the results of Jacob's return to Bethel. Now, when we look at a brief look at Jacob's situation, he had fled from home in fear of Esau. Remember when he deceived Esau back there at home? And uh, he had fled to Laban, his mother's brother. He had fled to his uncle. And that's chapter 27. He went a distance of 435 miles from where he was to Padanaram, where the rest of the family was, or Rachel's family was. And he was fleeing up there because of the fear that he had for uh, Esau <clears throat> after he had deceived Esau. And some of you remember the story how that he had deceived and Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a mess of pottage and uh, all the story about uh, 
Jacob going out into the field and, and putting hair upon and killing the goat. His mother had him kill a goat and he put the hair upon his hands because Esau was a hairy man. And he went in and deceived old Isaac, his father. He said, I want to feel you. And he felt. And he says, the hands are the hands of Esau, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. The old man knew the voice, but he didn't know the feeling. And then he ate of that venison that was prepared, of course, for him. And he thought, well, this, this tastes like it ought to. And so he was deceiving. He was a supplanter. He was a conniver. Jacob wasn't altogether a good fellow. And yet, by the grace of God, God saved him. And uh, took care of him, even as mean and as terrible as he was in his life. God uh, corrected him. He had to suffer for it. Don't ever forget that. You've got to pay your dues somewhere in life. And so all along the way, uh, these things happened. So he had fled from home. The second thing, Jacob had worked hard for Laban. That was his uncle when he got there. He had worked for 20 years. And he had worked for Rachel and Leah and then for much cattle. First of all, he worked for uh, Rachel for seven years and he was deceived by Laban. See, the deception comes back, doesn't it? And Laban gave him uh, Leah for a wife instead of Rachel. He woke up the next morning and he found out he had the wrong woman. And it was all because Laban said, well, you know, I can't give you the... You've got to have this firstborn first. You've got to have Leah first. And besides, it was in old Laban's heart to deceive uh, Jacob in the first place. And then he had to work another seven years. God, he made a bargain with Laban again. He worked another seven years to get the woman he loved. All deception. Then he had to work 20 years. I mean, six more years, making a total of 20, in order to get some cattle. And he left before the 21 years because he ran away from Laban and, and all the family and took his wives and his cattle and all the, his family away from him. And, of course, he was rebuked by Laban for that. Laban was his uncle. And Laban was just as uh, uh, much a deceiver and just as crooked and conniving as was Jacob. But he met his match when Jacob came. And uh, so all that had taken place. Then his fear of meeting Esau, now it was time come. And you find this the record in uh, the 33rd chapter where he was to meet Esau. And he thought, well, I've got to uh, meet Esau and I'm going to give him a gift. And he divided his cattle into two bands and his family into two two different groups, and he said, well, if one of them gets uh, killed and taken and captivated or whatever, then the other group can escape. And he had all this in his mind. He still figured out things, wasn't he? Instead of trusting in God to change Esau's heart, which he had, and his fear of meeting Esau was unfounded, for Esau received him very graciously. And you find that the record of that in the 33rd chapter. Then they come to a place called Shechem in the 34th chapter. Chapter right before we're, we're studying here in the 35th. And at Shechem, Dinah's defilement by the hand of Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite. We find that the one daughter, Dinah, oh, she had to go out and see the daughters of the land and live in high circles. It says in the 34th chapter, And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. I mean, she had to get in high society now. Imagine, uh, this this Hamar was uh, the Hivite and prince of the country. She was uh, really with the high high ups, wasn't she? And so she thought she was doing real good to get in that class of society. And yet, Dinah was defiled. You read the story, and we won't go through the story of it. 
But the defilement of this daughter by the hand of Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite. You read that in the 34th chapter in verses 1 through 4. And then uh, verses 25 through 31 in the same chapter, we find Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, slew Hamar and Shechem. And all the males, they went out with a sword and they destroyed them. And you can read the circumstances of that, which I won't go into. Bringing disgrace upon Jacob and his household. And no wonder Jacob was running now and, you know, needing God to speak to him. And if you'll notice, in chapter 35, verse 1, God spoke to him just in time. And that brings us to the second point of our message. What God speaks to Jacob. 35, verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee, when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. God spoke to him. And God speaks to Jacob at that particular time, and it was very timely. You know, God always speaks to us in a very timely way, just when we need it. Maybe some of you need God to speak to you this morning, and I trust He will through this message, that He'll say something to you. In fact, maybe the same thing he said to Jacob. Arise and go back to Bethel. Bethel was the place where Jacob first met the Lord as he was fleeing. And you have the record of it there in the 28th chapter, I believe it is, of uh, Genesis. When he dreamed his dream and saw a ladder that reached from the earth to heaven, you know. And when he saw that ladder, by the way, that ladder is a picture of Jesus. He's the one that connects earth to heaven. He's the one that will take us from earth to heaven. In fact, he refers to that in the first chapter of John and says that you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man and the angels of God ascending up and then descending upon the Son of Man. So he was using the figure of Jacob's ladder because Jacob saw the angels of God ascending and descending. By the way, where are the angels then if they're ascending first and then descending? The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. Are they, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for, for those who shall be heirs of salvation? Hebrews 1, I believe, verse 14. Think of it. They're here. We talk about guardian angels. They're here. And I believe that many of us could testify to the fact that they're round about us. That they take care of us. And we won't go into that whole story. But we find that that's where Jacob first first met God, and God now speaks to him and tells him to go back. And go up, rather, to Bethel. When we think of God speaking to Jacob, and what he says to Jacob, first of all, it's a great marvel that God speaks to Jacob at all. Because of the way he lived. Because of his life. He hadn't been very close to God all these different times. And so it's a marvel. And by the way, it's a marvel that God even speaks to us as we are. It's a marvel of His grace that He would continue to communicate with us. He does communicate to us through His Word and by His Holy Spirit's presence and through the, through the ministry of His Word in the church and as you read your Bible in various ways. If you remember a few Sundays back, I spoke on a message that said, God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. God speaks once, yea, twice. Well, in Jacob's case, it was more than twice. How many times and how often does God speak to His people? God takes the initiative. God is always seeking man first. Jacob wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for Jacob. You know, it would be a terrible thing if uh, all of it depended upon us seeking God. 
God was not seeking us. Remember, Jesus spoke of Himself. He said that when there's one lost sheep, that this good shepherd goes out and he seeks. There are ninety and nine in the fold, but he seeks that one lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he lays it upon his shoulders and brings it home. That's what the Lord does. I heard of Dr. Conley, I believe it was, years ago. He said there's only one consolation about being lost, and that is that Jesus is looking for. He's seeking that one lost sheep. He says that's the only comfort a person can take in being in the lost state, is that the Lord is looking for them. And He's going to find you too, and He will. And He'll save you, and He'll bring you home safely because He loves you. And so, how many times does God speak? God always sought man first. God speaks once or twice. In Jacob's case, three or four times. He spoke to him at Bethel. Spoke to him at Padanaram. That's when he was up there in Laban's country. And then at Peniel. That's already happened. And now again at Bethel. Four times. And right here in this chapter, if you want to look at it, in verse 9, it says, And God appeared unto Jacob again. See? He appeared to him this time and just spoke instead of just speaking. So he has a whole story here about God appearing to him. In spite of what Jacob had been, in spite of what had happened to Dinah, the daughter, and Jacob's sons and how they had brought disgrace upon him in this last chapter, chapter 34, and in spite of his conniving, in spite of his scheming, and in spite of all the failures that he had, Someone said, well, how will God speak to me if I fail so miserably? He's still going to do it because He does it in grace. You don't deserve it, and I don't deserve it. Jacob didn't deserve it. But nevertheless, God spoke in spite of the disobedience of Jacob's wives because he had much disobedience in his family. And so God speaks to us individually. And He speaks to us through His Word. And He speaks to us by His Holy Spirit. And you know, if you're sitting here this morning in the service, you can just almost depend upon the fact that God is going to, through His Word and through the Word that's preached, say something. He's going to say something through His Word and through the message that will fit you. When we preach the Bible and we're preaching on the text, go back to Bethel, that God is going to have a message. If I didn't say anything else, that would be a message, wouldn't it? Go back to the place where you first met the Lord. Go back to the place where God revealed Himself to you. Go back to the place that was so dear to you and that you were so close to God. He said, surely God's in this place. And he says, this is none other but the house of God. And he says, I'm going to call this place Bethel. And I'm going to set the pillows that I've had for my head as I slept during the night. I'm going to set up for a pillar of memorial, not a place to worship but a place of remembrance that this is where it all happened, to remind him of where he had been and what God had done. So what does he say? Arise, go up to Bethel. He doesn't say go down, but go up to Bethel. Anytime we meet God, it's up and not down. Remember the story, it says a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, from the holy city. Jericho is the city of the curse. But if you go up to the holy city... And to God, it's always up. Let us arise. He says, arise. God said, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. We need to leave the things of the world behind and go up. We're to go back to Bethel. We're go to the house of God. Go to our first meeting with God. Go to our spiritual experience 
Now then, you can't go back and be saved a second time. Some people say, oh, I wish I just had the same experience when I was saved. You can't do that. But you can be revived and should be revived and should be renewed and keep our vows to God that if God, He says, God, if you'll be with me, I'll come back to this place one of these days and I'll pay my vows. But do we keep our vows? Do we want to go to the place where we were closest to the Lord? You say, back there one time, Jesus saved me and I was so close to the Lord, I just felt like every burden was lifted and, and uh, everything was right. And it was, and it is, but it doesn't hurt to be to go back to that place of renewal. We should be revived. We should be renewed and keep our vows to God. Did you know what revival? You know, a lot of people get mistaken about revival. They say, "Well, you know, we had a revival, and there were five people saved, or maybe so many." What a revival is when God's people are lifted up, and the other is soul winning. That's soul saved. And that may come as a result of the people reading Revive. Don't misunderstand me. But you know, just a lot of people say, well, we're going to have a revival meeting see how many people are saved. We're going to have a revival meeting get God's people revived and then they will, others will be saved. And so we get the cart before the horse. Sometimes we need to get God's people revived before things begin to happen. Back to Bethel. And then what does he say Jacob was to do? First of all, Jacob was to make a decided move. Arise and go up to Bethel. A decided move. Not just to say, I will arise. God told him to do that, but Jacob obeyed. It's kind of like the prodigal son, remember, as he ran away from home and he ended up spending all his inheritance with a wild kind of life. Riotous living, it says. And he ended up feeding the pigs for some fellow. And as he ended up in the hog pen, he said, I can do better than this. He says, in my father's house, there's bread and enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. He would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And he said, this one, I'm going to do this. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and against thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And the Bible says, and he arose and came to his father. He did what he had purposed to do. You know, first, before you do anything, you have to think about doing it. It's in your mind and in your plan to do it. You say, well, sometimes I speak before I'm supposed to. Well, that happens too. But on the other hand, the things that we accomplish, really accomplish, we have to set our mind to do it before we will do it. You say, well, I'm going to join the church. Well, you've got to get your mind on it. And even during the ministry and preaching of God's Word, if there's someone that's not saved, they, their mind is thinking upon, well, I need to be saved. Someone may say, well, I need to be baptized. Their mind's upon following the Lord. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. And all the things that are involved in your Christian life, your mind sets on it before you do it. That's why we preach the Word, to get people's minds arranged to where that they'll say, well, I'm going to follow through with what I'm supposed to do. And so this prodigal, he arose and he came to his father. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. He was looking for him. God's looking for you too. His father saw him and ran. Who ran? The prodigal? No, the father did. Say, well, it was an old man. Old men can run sometimes too. And he ran, yes, especially when the son that's been away that long returns. And he ran, fell upon his neck, and kissed him, welcomed him home. And I'd go into a whole message on what he provided for him. But what we're saying is that he did what he was supposed to do. Make a decided move. Now listen, some of you here may this morning need to make a decided move. 
You've thought about what you need to do from time to time, but are you willing to make that move? Many people today, many of God's children, need to make a decided move. You know, I believe that's one of the greatest troubles that we have in our uh, churches today is people not deciding to do what God has already laid upon their heart to go ahead and do and follow through with it. To revive old memories as well. Not only to make a decided move, but to revive old memories. Remember, we just already have mentioned it and preached on this point somewhat, that the old memory of Bethel, where he first met the Lord and how how much a blessing it was. Can you remember when you were closer to God than you are now? You remember that? What do you need to do? Get back there some way. If If you were ever closer to God than you are now, that's a call for you to get rise, go up to Bethel. That's a call for you to return back to Bethel, back to the place where you uh, were really close to God. To revive old memories. Remember your salvation. Remember His grace. Remember God's love and mercy. Remember also, during the time from then, His divine providence in caring for you and His protection along the way. We sing a song, Amazing grace. His grace has brought me what? Safe thus far. And what? His grace will lead me home. So we need to recognize what's brought us where we are, as well as how we got there in the first place. Jacob was to make a decided move. He was to revive old memories. The third thing he was to do, Jacob, Jacob must keep an old vow. He had vowed back there. Let me read his vow in Genesis 28, if you will. In verse 20, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, well, God was with him, and will keep me in this way that I go, and he kept him, and will give me bread to eat, and he gave him bread to eat, and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, I'm going to return someday, then shall the Lord be my God. Now look, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. I'm going to remember God's house. And then he says, And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. By the way, he even promised to tithe along the way, didn't he? And by the way, that was before the law. Someone says, you know, tithing's under the law. This is long before the law was given. And Abraham tithed before this. But you see, when you do, God will bless you for it. He says, Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You want to know how to be blessed and how to prosper? Honor God's Word. And if you'll do that, you'll never be disappointed. You know, God has a plan for your success and your prosperity. And if you'll follow His Word, it'll happen. You say, Preacher, I don't see how that, that $90 will go as far as $100. You don't see how, but God does. And it'll go further, by the way. And it'll even add blessings along the way with it. You try it if you don't believe it. My wife and I married. was 20 years old. We've been married 55 years plus. We started tithing when we first joined the church. Now I've never regretted it. Someone said, Brother George, look what all you've got. I said, well, I don't know. God gave it to me. I didn't have anything to do with it except work. But God expects you to do that too, doesn't He? He says, Six days shalt thou what? Labor. A lot of people want these to Short hours, you know, and say, well, I'll work 20 hours a week and that's enough. Brother, that's not enough to do anything. I had a preacher down in the seminary, Dr. Kemp, and he said that he went to Southwestern in those days before 
Arlington Baptist College and before the Bible Baptist Seminary. He said that he used to go to school, Southwestern, and he had jobs along the way. And he said if he didn't have enough jobs, he'd get one flipping hamburgers or whatever to make enough money to go to school, provide for his family, and etc. And he said, in those days, you, do you remember, some of you remember the naphtha gas that you take and you clean your suit and your clothes instead of sending them to cleaners? And they come out smelling horrible. And you have to hang them on the line in the sunshine for day in and day out to get all that, some of that smell out, not all of it. Never, all of it never did go out. But he had to clean his suit that way. People can make it if you put God first. God will provide and God will bless doesn't mean it won't be hard. doesn't mean you won't have to work. But you apply yourself to it. And if you think you can get by without it, you're just deceiving yourself. Now, Jacob must keep this old vow. And by the way, it's, you should not make vows. Be careful to make vows. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I want to read a verse for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It says in verse... Uh, one, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they considered not that they do evil. You know how to keep your foot? Keep your mouth. You've talked about foot in the, in the mouth. All right. You, if you don't believe that, just listen to what we're reading here. He says, first, keep thy foot when thou goest in the house of God. Now then, verse 2 says, be not rash with thy mouth. How are you going to keep your foot? Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. Now look, verse 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that thou hast vowed. Now verse 5 says, Better... It is that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. God is going to require it of you. And he goes on to how, well, maybe he made a mistake in saying what he did, but God won't put up with that either. You can make all kinds of excuses you want to. But anyway, what I'm saying is that Jacob had made a vow, and now it's time that he keep his old vow. And then the fourth thing about this, what he was to do, is that for Jacob to fulfill his vow, it was... Necessary for him to re, to reform his whole house. Because look at what Jacob says in verse 2. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. God had kept his bargain with him, hadn't he? Jacob said, Now I've got to go back. Go up to Bethel. So what does he say? To fulfill his vow, it was necessary for him to reform his whole house. And he did. He spoke to the whole family. Jacob said unto his household, he could not serve God and worship other gods. By the way, the fathers and mothers here today, those that are head of the family, you cannot serve God and worship other gods. You say, preacher, we don't serve other gods. Well, we'll see in a moment what we're talking about. You have to be an example for your children, for your family, as a husband or wife, as a father or mother. You have to be an example before them. They're not going to do just what you say. They're going to do what you do. 
Put away the strange gods. God made no mention of these strange gods, but Jacob knew they were there, didn't he? God didn't say, Jacob, now you put away your strange god and go up to Bethel. No, God told him to go up, arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Dwelling means the whole family was to be there, right? And so what did uh, Jacob say? He said, well, we've got to put away these strange gods. We've got to be clean and change your garments. There are strange gods among God's people today. Say, preacher, what are some of them? Money, luxury, strange gods, lack of concern, ease of living. You say, is ease of living a strange god? In the book of Amos, chapter 6, verse 1, Amos says, Woe unto those that are at ease in Zion. They don't care about anyone else. And in verse 6, he says, chapter 6, verse 6, that they're not concerned about the affliction of Joseph. They care not for the affliction of Joseph. Joseph was a brother, right? They don't care about Israel. They don't care about other people. And especially their own. They're not grieved, it says, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Strange gods of lust and of time. We say, I don't have time for God. You've got the same amount of time I have. And the other fellow has the same amount of time you have. He said, well, preacher, you just don't know what all I have to do. Well, I could go into that, but I'm not going to. But all of us have things to do. And all of us, our schedules are tight. Some have more time than others to do the things they would like to do. But we all have 24 hours in a day. I think of Nancy out there. You know, she does all the work down at Zia Gas and then all the work for the church and secretary work. I told her one day, I said, told her, I was talking to some of the men, I said, we could get her a job from about midnight till about 6 in the morning and that'd be the full time. If she wanted to work, you know, you've heard people saying, I, I have a full time job. What does a full time job mean anyway? But anyway, she didn't want to do that, and we didn't want to do that to her. But it says, what? This is a God. And covetousness. Paul says, covetousness is idolatry. He said, I had not known sin except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. He, he sums all the sins up in, the, in that one word. I didn't know anything about sin, Paul says, to my own old nature. But he says, the law said, thou shalt not covet. The law revealed his sinfulness doesn't mean he didn't literally know that there was sin, but this law convicted him that there was sin in the natural man. So he says, Arise, go up to Bethel. And then he says in verse 2, Jacob said unto his household, Put away all the strange gods. Put away the strange gods that are among you. And be clean. The next thing he says, be clean. Then he says, and change your garments. Be clean. A general washing, a purging. By the way, it represents a purging of character. The Bible says, Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. The Bible says, I believe, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore, dearly beloved, these promises, let us cleanse ourselves, what? Of all filthiness of the flesh and of the Spirit. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's clean. But our spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us, what? Cleanse ourselves. I believe I gave you the right reference. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Look at Look at it, if you will. Okay? So, what are we talking about? To be clean means physically clean for Jacob and spiritually clean as well. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 7. The psalmist said, David said, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be what? Clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Purge me with hyssop. That was the hyssop that was applied 
that applied the blood through the cleansing of the blood of Christ. And so we have that privilege to confess our sins. We need to, to be clean in the sight of God if we're going back. And then he says, change your garments, is what Jacob said. It's symbolical of an entire renewal of life. An entire renewal of life. In the Bible, garments in the Bible speak of habits of life. Isaiah 52.1, I won't go read it, but it speaks of habits of life. Now then, think about our habits that need to be changed. Change your garments. What change do we need to make? The habits of worldliness. The habit of evil. Our sinful habits. Our fleshly habits. Our ungodly habits must be changed. We cannot go back to Bethel or up to Bethel and put, a, and put our lives on the altar for God and keep the old habits that we have and that we've always had. There has to be some change. The habit of prayerlessness. Do we pray? Well, you say, well, I pray daily. Well, that's good. Or I pray uh, often. That's good too. But you know, sometimes when we're really in trouble, then we really pray. When we really have sickness or death or tragedy come in our family, then, then we pray from the heart and with weeping and with concern and with fervency in our habit of prayerlessness. We do not consider it. By the way, if you're not burdened enough about your own problems, become burdened about some of the church family and their needs and pray about that. Pray about the unconcern, the apathy. There's another thing. Worldly habits. Apathy. Just laziness or don't care. Have you ever heard someone say, I just don't care? You know that's the worst state of mind you can get into is not to care. That's a bad state of affairs. Do you care today? Say, well, I care for myself. Well, that's pretty good. Everyone ought to care a little bit about themselves. But do you care for others? Do you care for the things of God? Are you taking responsibility for your part in serving God and getting the gospel out and uh, supporting the church or doing what you can to witness or being present in the services? How much do you care? Serving the world in its ways need to be changed. Some people serve the world in its ways. There's gossip that needs to be changed. Don't talk about other folks. We need to learn to say good things about other people. And if we can't, we ought to keep our mouth shut, shouldn't we? And sometimes we can't. But then the time to what? The psalmist said, put a, put a watch over the door of my mouth. He says, put a protector over the door of my mouth. It's like a door. And sometimes you better close the door and put a lock on it. And that's exactly what he was talking about. He wanted him to keep his mouth. We've already mentioned how do you keep your foot, haven't we? You keep your foot by keeping your mouth. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Be not rash with thy mouth. Do not make the give the sacrifice of fools. That's back in Ecclesiastes what we was reading. Think of it for a moment. Gossip. And then what else? We have a lot of things. Envy. Are you envious? And strife. Do you stir up strife? Remember Abraham of old, he said, Let there be no strife between us, said the Lot and his herdmen and his cattlemen. Let there be no strife. The Bible says in the New Testament, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle in all things. We have to learn to be gentle in all things. We have to learn to build people up and encourage people and strengthen people. We can't go... 
along discouraging folks. It's not our business to do that. And then we're talking about the things that we do to change our garments. Christians need two things to dedicate themselves to God and to rededicate themselves to God. So someone says, well, I dedicate myself to God. I was saved and I, I told God I would do what He wants me to do. But what about a rededication? A renewal back to Bethel. What about going back to the place where you made all the promises to God that you were so certain you were going to keep? Christians need these two things, to dedicate themselves to God and to rededicate themselves to God. If we get that in our minds, we'd do that more often and more sincerely. You say, well, if I do it once, that's enough. Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, listen, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What does it say? By a renewed mind. We're talking about rededication. By the renewing of your mind. That means more than just once. It's a daily renewing. It, it goes on. A lot of people say, well, I came to God with a renewed mind and I'm trying to serve God. That's good. But Paul says, by the renewing of your mind. You think one time's enough? No, it's a constant, progressive, and consistent uh, thing that needs to go on in our minds by the renewing of your mind. The next thing was to celebrate special worship. Let us arise, go up to Bethel, and make an altar, Jacob says. Make an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress. He says, we've got to go back to Bethel, go up to Bethel, and I want to make an altar. We're going to have a special session of worship there. Altar speaks of worship. Of course, you have to sacrifice. You give yourself, and that's what it's speaking about. Celebrate special worship. What is a special worship? Feeding upon Christ. How do you do that? Through His Word. Through the ministry of God's Word. Attending the house of God. Fellowshipping with the children of God. With earnest praying. Drawing near to God. Psalm 73, verse 28 The psalmist said, it is good for me to draw near to God. Well, if it's good for him, I think it might be good for the rest of us, don't you? It is good for me to draw near to God. How many many people are willing to draw near to God? Think of it for a moment. And then what happened? Another subject, another point of our message. We've seen what he was to do and what what, uh, Jacob was doing. And now what happened when Jacob obeyed? All the family responded in the Reformation. Jacob spoke with authority for the whole house. And by the way, fathers and mothers should speak with authority for their children. But Jacob was the head of the house. And if you'll notice that then Jacob, verse 2, said unto all his household and all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garment. Let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress was with me in the way which I went. Now look, verse 4. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand. They knew he meant business. And all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. He buried them. By the way, our sins are buried under the cross of Jesus. 
all of their idols were buried under this oak. And there's a tree of Calvary where our sins were all buried under the cross. Once and for all and forever. 